While you're standing, let me invite you to take your Bible, turn to Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2. We've been singing praises to uh, our incarnate God, even Jesus Christ, and uh, He gives us instructions uh, in His Word about how to live together, not only in our immediate families, but also in the family of God. We've been studying, if you're new to us today, we've been studying through the pastoral epistles. We find ourselves in uh, Paul's letter to Titus, a young pastor, and uh, we've been going through the last several weeks, chapter 2, instructions to the family. And so today we come to another very important section, uh, two verses, and we will expound this and talk about even how this uh, is related to the uh, the very subject we've been singing about, the incarnation of the Lord Jesus Christ. Titus chapter 2, verse 9. Slaves are to be sub- submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. Father, our heart's desire is that we see uh, the Lord Jesus Christ lifted up, that we see His magnificent life lived here on this earth. We see His death and His burial, His being raised on the third day, all according to the Scriptures, and that He came to give life to His people. And so, Lord, a part of that means that we are not only saved from the penalty of sin, we're not only justified, clothed in His righteousness, but we are to live out the implications of that every day. And Lord, we're not left to wonder. You didn't mince words. You gave us exactly what we are to do as older men as older women, as younger men, younger women, as husbands and wives and children, and now in our work. And so, Lord, we pray that You would bless us today. We have sung Your Word, Lord, I pray, from the heart. Now we have heard Your Word, and now we will proclaim Your Word. At least I will do my best to instruct all of us in how we can learn one of the most important principles in all of Scripture that you demonstrated so well. And so we ask you to give us not only eyes to see, give us a, a watchful heart so that we can receive from you all the things that we need to bring us to salvation, those of us who don't know you who are here today, and those of us who do to bring that life transformation by the power of your Word and your Spirit. So we thank you for that pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. You know, uh, communication is important. What is said and what a person thinks he or she might be saying and what is heard sometimes can be open to misinterpretation, sometimes with humorous consequences, and sometimes, oh my, with negative consequences. A while back, 
Jan and I were eating uh, at Charleston's, and I ordered a salad. I really thought that I communicated clearly when I ordered a salad, of course, with their wonderful creamy garlic ranch dressing. And then I added to this very nice young lady, young lady, who was waiting on us, and I said, oh, and by the way, cut the onions. She brought my salad to me, and I looked down at my salad, and there was a heap of onions all chopped up. And I, I thought I was communicating clearly. Now, also just as clearly, there was a generational thing that was going on in the communication. And I said, I thought I ordered my salad, and I said, cut the onions. Now, I was really being sincere, and she said, sir, that's exactly what we did. It was humorous. She took it back, and I said, I'm sorry, that was my fault. I should have said, because it, I went into an explanation that she probably really didn't appreciate, but I said, in my day, cut the onions meant no onions. So she took it back, and I got my salad without minced onions. Now, the Apostle Paul never minces words. And so for the last several weeks, we have been looking at, I said it just a few minutes ago, instructions for family living, all right? The family of God gathered here. How do we relate to each other, other as older men, older women, younger men, younger women, husbands and wives, children? How do we relate together? But that also has a more intimate interpretation and application in the nuclear family, your family and my family. Paul didn't mince words. He was crystal clear. We may not like it, but in this couple of verses that I just read, if we are going to live out our lives as, as followers of Christ. Now, if you're not a follower of Christ today, uh, this is really probably going to throw you, but as followers of Christ, if we are going to live out our lives with the attendant blessings that are promised for believers, then we can expect blessing. And if not, if we choose not to deal with what he is saying, then much as the negative consequences, we may end up living in misery. And so we're going to come today to the last of the requirements for God to be living in the church, the home, and in the culture, because obviously it ultimately goes out to what we are communicating, not just with our lips, but with our lives to the culture around us. And today we're going to talk about those who work for others. So you've got your outline there. Let's go through this. I will spend time on the, the concepts, the words that I think are vital. We've already talked about some of these things in previous sermons, so I'm not going to go back and belabor some of those points. But I'm going to start with one word, slaves. This is a word that indicates 
an involuntary situation. Someone who served at another person's desire. The word here is slave, it's servant, it's bond servant. In fact, the Apostle Paul uses this word to describe himself as a bond servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. Second thing that you need to see here, this is not an isolated, off-the-wall kind of teaching in the Scriptures. Especially in the New Testament where it's hammered out, this is the way a Christian servant, a Christian slave is to live. Let's look at another passage of Scripture and see how it says it. A little bit different wording, but it says basically the same thing. Slaves, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service, I service, but as, pe- as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. We're going to talk about motivations here in a minute. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. So, it obviously had meaning in that context, in a day where slavery was huge in the world. In the Roman Empire, more than 50% of the people who lived in that empire were slaves. It also has meaning in our context, in our context, where there is no longer slavery in our country overtly. Now, Again, referring back to a previous sermon, we know that slavery exists around the world in a lot of different ways. But today, here is the way that we need to apply this, okay? Don't get lost in the weeds. We need to, we need to apply this by saying employees, someone who works for someone else. It reminds us, this whole passage of Scripture, that God is the one who has built a divine order into all of his creation. It reminds us, listen to this carefully, please, that work was created by God for man from the beginning, and work was good. And it still is. Now, it's been impacted like everything else that was created and God pronounced it very good, it's been impacted by the fall of man into sin. And we see this today. We struggle with our work. Now, here's what I do not want you to do with this word slave. And I isolated this so that we, again, wouldn't get lost and we'll get to the main point of what Paul is trying to say for all people of all times following the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't need to see this as some have, and might today, as an opportunity to advance a social agenda and either justify human slavery or accuse unnecessarily. I said a lot in that sentence, and that's all I'm going to say about that, but I want, in case there might be anybody who has a question about God's attitude towards slavery, 
I want us to go back. We've already studied through 1 Timothy, but I will remind us of God's attitude. In a list of abominations before the Lord, a list of sins for which Christ came to give His life, Paul makes this mention. Look at this. Understanding this, the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those, and here he begins his list. By the way, this is not the only list of sins in the New Testament, Old Testament, but it's one we need to take note of here for our purposes. So here's the list. Those who strike their father, fathers and mothers. For murderers, for the sexually immoral, for men who practice homosexuality, for enslavers, those who steal. Man-stealers is uh, uh, the literal translation of that word. For those who steal other people for the purposes of selling them and making them slaves. For liars, for perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine. So obviously God hates slavery. Does He hate the other sins that are mentioned here? Yes, they are abominations. And right there in the middle of them is enslavers. You know, I, I, I just have to say this. I can't imagine how people who call themselves Christians could have ever missed that. And yet they have. But that's what Paul says about that. Here's what's interesting. All throughout, I, I looked at this once again. Paul had the chance here. He could have instructed Titus or Timothy. He could have said, look, this is a great evil, and I want you to work to dismantle the systems that enslave people. But he didn't do that. He said, here's what I want to emphasize. I'm talking to a group of people who might be in this condition of slavery and who might have become a Christian, a follower of Christ in the midst of this institution. And Timothy and Titus, the best thing that I can tell you to tell them is what is on my heart, and that is not to do away with the institution but to deal with your heart attitude. And in doing that, these men and these women will bring incredible glory to God. Here's another thing that Paul said back in 1 Timothy, let all who are under a yoke as slaves regard their own masters as worthy of all honor so that the name of God and the teaching of God may not be reviled. You see, it always goes back to the glory of God. It always goes back to how can I best make God and His Word look good. And so he's going to tell us, as gospeled people, believing slaves, believing employees, believers who are under any kind of authority, and so that really expands our application points today, What does he tell us to do? Let's look at the next part. Slaves, employees, those under a a, a yoke, 
are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. Here is the word that we need to focus on today. Young people, children, young adults, young wives, young moms, older men, older women. We are, and this is mentioned over and over again, we are to be submissive to our own masters in everything. This entire passage is about that. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submission. You, you have to get this, and I think most of you do, but we, we need to hammer on this. Submission permeates all of Scripture. And the reason it does is because the idea of submission comes from God. Some years back, there was a book that was written. The title of the book was Radical. Anybody remember that? It basically said that if you want to be radical, you give your life to become more involved with the missionary endeavor. But I am going to tell you today that I believe that what Paul is saying here to Titus is that if you truly, listen, if you truly want to be radical for Jesus, learn submission. In, in whatever context you might be in, your life purpose ought to be to learn to submit. Does everybody agree with that? Well, Pastor, that all depends on what you mean by submit. Let's look at it. The definition of this word that we we translated submit is to arrange under. It's a, it's a military term. It's used of a soldier lining up under a superior officer. Now, while a general is no greater in worth, in value, intrinsically than an airman basic, or than a private or a seaman recruit, there is a difference between their assigned duty. Even the word, li listen to the word, submission, indicates that you will make whatever you see your mission as being as under what your leader's mission is all about. And all of this is true because earthly submission is based on the submission found in the Godhead. Let me show you something, and this is all through Scripture. But the Trinity, now I, I could ask some of our third and fourth graders on Wednesday night to help me out with this because we have studied the Trinity. And we know that there is equality. There is equality of, di of, of divinity, of deity between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit but in case you've missed it, there is an incredible picture of submission within the Trinity. And it's spelled out in Ephesians chapter 1. Look at what the Father did. Particularly in, in the work of, of, of salvation and redemption, we see this picture of submission. The Father planned for redemption from eternity past. It says in this passage that He chose us before the foundation of the world, that He predestined us to adoption as sons. So the Father had a specific role to play 
He planned it out. And then we see that the Son paid for it. He sent the Son, Jesus Christ. And this is what we are celebrating at this time of year. I hope it's not just at Christmas, but it's every day of the year that we are celebrating the fact that God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, perfectly God, to take on human flesh so that we could have redemption through His blood. He submitted Himself to the Father to do that. And then the Holy Spirit was sent by Jesus and submits Himself to Him as the one who takes the Word of God, who regenerates the heart, and who applies salvation. And there's this beautiful picture of submission in the Trinity. And if there, listen to me, how could submission ever be bad? Unless we pervert and corrupt it. Our submission to each other really should look like the submission in the Godhead. And I want you to see this. It's highly relational. We, I, I was talking to somebody the other day, and, and I had not had this thought consciously um, about this, but it hit me. Someone was describing the work environment of our staff. And this person who, who works on staff was telling someone else, and I overheard this person say this, he said, there's no drama in our staff. I've worked in other places where there's lots of drama. Do, do you catch what I'm saying? And I stepped back and I thought to myself, wow, you, you know, that's really true. We're, we're not perfect on our staff, but, but we work together. We don't always agree, but we disagree agreeably. And I thought back, and, and it's been, now, now, I will admit that maybe in times past there has been drama. I don't know all about that, but... It's a wonderful and a beautiful thing when people can get along and when there is no drama. There's no drama in the Trinity in their submission, and therefore that ought to be the template, what we look to in our submission to one another in all relationships in life. Let, let me show you again, and we'll expand a little bit on the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's what he says about this and the attitude of submission. Have his mind in you. Perfect submission to the Father. Have this mind in you, which was in Christ Jesus, who though He existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God, something to be held on to, but He emptied Himself, taking the form of a what? It's the same word that Paul says when he's talking to Titus about a particular group of people. He became a slave. He became a bond slave, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man, and being found in human form. He humbled himself. This is the essence of submission by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Do you realize that 
listen, without the Son being submissive to the Father, do you realize that if He had not been, there would have been no incarnation? There would be no Christmas? Other than the, the Santa Claus kind of Christmas and those kinds of things that not spiritual at all. It would be a holiday, but without the incarnation, without the, the Son's incredible submission to His Father, there would be no celebration of His incarnation. Even, even the structure of the sentence in the Greek is relational. It doesn't say, we, we translate it in the English because it's, it's, it, it's easier to understand. Slaves, submit to your own masters. Really what it says, slaves to your own masters, submit. Even that points to the incredible sense of relationship, the beauty that it communicates. Now, by the way, parenthetically, when he speaks, when Paul always, almost without, without fail, when he speaks of servants submitting, he also speaks of masters who submit to the Lord Jesus and who are a model of leadership. I'll remind you, there's, there's an entire letter, a book in the Bible, in the New Testament that's written about a slave and his master. So it's important to have the mind of Christ in this. Now, obviously, if you're told to do something that violates God's command, what do you do? You don't do it. You obey God. But there are powerful promises attached to this. Did, did you know that? Kids, did you know that there is a promise attached for you when you submit to your parents, do you know what it is? It's the first commandment with the promise that you will live long. And you will have a good life. Now, that's a general promise, but that is a promise given for submission to children. Wives, did you know that there's a promise to you about submitting yourselves to your husbands? 1 Peter 3 gives an incredible promise that when you do that in the right way, it says that your husbands will be one to Christ. I can almost anticipate all of the yeah, buts going through people's minds right now. These are general promises, but the promises are there. They need to be listened to in terms of how important it is to submit. Citizens, there is a promise made that by submitting to the governing authorities, you will escape God's wrath and you'll have the protection, ideally, of the authorities. Slaves, and we just read it a few moments ago, you will receive the inheritance, that's workers, for their work on earth. Now, submission. Paul doesn't just say it, he, he demonstrates it with two attitudes that we see next. And he does it like this. He says there's a negative and there's a positive way to look at it. Let's look at the next one. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative. First the negative, then the positive. The next one's going to be first the negative and then the positive. Now, this is an overall demeanor, a heart attitude that seeks positively to show excellence in your work. 
It means you, you won't just get by. It means that you will go above and beyond. That you will refuse to, to, to serve your employer just out of a negative sense of obligation. You'll move from a sour, and I, I, I'm sure that none of you have ever done this, but you've seen it, where somebody will have a sour attitude of, okay, I'll submit to an enthusiastic, my pleasure. And that's what it means to be well-pleasing. And parents, you, you know those attitudes are so important with your children, and it's that way with employees and the people for whom they work. Paul says this, it means you'll not argue when you're told to do something. Now, I said this is going to be something that we can apply across the board. Children, are you listening to this? Submission means that you are doing it with a good attitude, and you're not arguing back. It means you'll do what you're told to do. You will not gripe. You will not complain. You will not, here's an old word for you, sass. You know what sass means? You will not sass, and you will not talk back. You will not be contentious. You will not be disagreeable. And do you know what the key of this, this whole thing, whether you're a child, whether you're an employee, employer, a wife submitting, a husband submitting, a pastor submitting to his fellow elders, the whole key to this is the attitude that that we've already looked at this in seed form. But you've got to understand who it is that you work for. That is absolutely key. Slaves, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service, people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. And then 24b says, you are serving the Lord Christ. That will revolutionize your sense of submission if you understand that ultimately you're doing it as unto the Lord. Romans 12, 1 and 2, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. It was always Jesus' absolute will to be well-pleasing to the Father. It didn't matter what He had to go through as long as He would say, Thy will be done. Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. But nevertheless, not what my will is, but your will be done. John 6, it says it like this, I've come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Submission to his Father's will was Jesus' greatest desire, his greatest goal. Submission for the sake of the Lord Jesus should be our greatest goal as followers of Christ. So what do you do if you don't like your boss? What do you do? As long as he or she is not asking you to do anything that is against God's commands 
or against a strongly held biblical conviction, what do you do? Even if you don't like your boss, what do you do? You submit. You don't just submit. If we look at what we just said, you are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative. You joyfully submit, remembering that it is the Lord Jesus Christ whom you serve. I've talked about what I'm talking about today with so many people. Do you know one of the things that I hear? Maybe you've heard this. But pastor, you don't, you don't know my situation. Is that, is that fair? And you know what my answer to them always is? I don't know your situation. And, and that's one of the reasons why it, it's not really smart to say, I know how you feel, because you probably don't. But let's step back and think about this. God, who instructed Paul to write to Titus and tell those who are under the authority of another person to submit, he knew before he wrote this what your situation would be. And he still wrote it. Do you notice something that I'm not doing today? I struggle with this in the preparation of this last week. I alluded to it a second ago. I'm not giving you a lot of exception clauses. There, there may be a few along the way, again, if, if, if told to do something that violates God's commands or a strongly held conviction that is biblical, we have to speak. But I'm afraid that many times in the church of Jesus Christ and in our families and all of the rest of that, we have made the exceptions into the rule. And it's open season. And we see the results of that, not only in families, churches, and in our culture. So we're to submit with a good attitude, great attitude, not sassing. And by the way, that means not sassing God. Have you ever done that? We're kind of behind, you know, kids will do that behind their parents' back, not our kids. I've heard stories of, of kids who will do that. They'll sass behind their parents' back. Larry Christensen wrote a book, an old book, years ago, called The Christian Family. And he told a story about when he was about 11 years old, he was old enough to know better, but his mom, had, he hadn't done something that he was supposed to do. And so his mom, in the hallway of their home, was really dressing him down to tell him what he hadn't been doing and telling him to correct it. And so she finished with what she had to say. She turned around, walked down the hall, and went around the corner. And when she did that, Larry said he put his hands on his hips and he looked, and under his breath, just loud enough so that he, he was saying it out loud, but not loud enough for his mom to hear, he said, dummy. Well, he didn't know 
that his dad had walked up and was standing behind him during the entire time. He didn't know that. So he said, when he said, dummy, his dad just reacted, put his hand on his shoulder, spun him around, took hold of his shirt, put him against the wall, and said, who's a dummy? And Larry said the only thing he could think to say was, I'm a dummy. I'm a dummy. I'm a dummy. Okay. Now, fathers, I am not saying in your authority to take your kids and slam them up against the wall. I'm not saying that. Neither would he. But I think the point is that Larry, as an 11-year-old kid, he came to the understanding that if you do not submit with a good, a joyful heart, you really are a dummy, and you really do need to submit. Well, he goes on to tell more. What does this submission look like? Not just good attitude, but not pilfering. Now, that is a great word. Not pilfering, that's the negative, but showing all good faith. That's a word that means integrity. Now, as an employee, you may not be, you may be, but you probably are not going to be committed, I mean tempted to commit grand larceny. Okay? (laughs) There are some people who do. I mean, they just they steal a car, they steal equipment or whatever, or they commit embezzlement, they take money. I, I, I'm talking about Christian organizations too. But primarily, and that's what Paul was, uh, was writing to, these slaves, it would be easy because many of them were managers over a household and they could pilfer. They could take something that maybe, the, maybe my, my, my master won't notice. And it's the same thing with us. I'll take something. I'm justified. Look at all that he has. Look at all that I don't have. And so they would take something and sell it and use it for their own purposes. And it is really easy for even Christian employees to, maybe you've never thought of it like this. Maybe you think this is over the top. But if you take a box of paper clips from your office without asking, without offering to pay for it, for your own private purpose, that is pilfering. Or you use the office's mail machine for your own personal letters or bills or whatever, that's, that's pilfering. It's not grand larceny, it's just a little bit. And the justification, you may never say it out loud, the justification is, well, they can afford it, they'll never miss it. But God sees it. And he says, you know, true submission ought to be done without an attitude of taking what is not yours. Why? Why? What's the big deal about that? Because when you do that, you're telling God and you're telling others you really don't trust Him for your provision. Countless stories, countless stories. Uh, I don't have any specific ones, but I've, I've read through the years stories of, 
a boss who was getting ready. He had noticed this employee's work and his work ethic and all the rest of that. And he was getting ready to walk into his office at the end of the day and tell him he was giving him a promotion. He goes up to the door. The door is open. The, bo- uh, the, the, the employee doesn't know he's there. And he takes a box of paper clips, puts them in his briefcase or her purse, zips up, and gets ready to leave. And the boss not only doesn't give him a promotion, he probably would give him a pink slip and tell him, I do not want to have a person like that not living in integrity, but rather being a steward. Now, what if that boss was a non-believer and he had heard this man or woman talking about their faith in Christ on the job? I'll say it to everybody. And you, you, young people, this, this, is, this is something that you, you need to understand. And older people, some, some can, could even give testimony to this. It will take a lifetime for you to build a reputation that can be destroyed in a minute. So what's the upshot of this? What's the ultimate goal of submission? What is it for children? What is it for Teenagers, what is it for young men, young women, husbands, wives, older men, older women? What is it? It's so that in everything you may adorn, you make make it look good, the doctrine of God our Savior. This is the ultimate motivation for submission. Not so that you'll feel better about yourself or... You'll be recognized on the job or you'll receive a promotion or a pay raise. Those things might happen. And they're not bad even to pursue. But that shouldn't be for a follower of Jesus Christ what ultimately motivates you. To have a well-pleasing attitude on the job. To be a man or a woman of integrity. Ultimately, the purpose of submission is evangelistic. And the most important and fertile field for evangelism is in your home first and also in your church. And that's why it's so important now. We're, we're not, we're not going to make it through without failing, but as a follower of Christ, having been justified we can always repent and learn to repent big when you haven't done the submission the way that God would want you to do it. I mentioned the book Radical. I, I, I said it a minute ago. Let me say it again. The most radical Christian life, and I hope you hear this and I hope you apply it to yourselves, the most radical Christian life is one marked by humility, service, surrender, and even joy in suffering. You can't improve on the doctrine of God. Don't try to. It's sola scriptura. But you can make it shine. Or you can make it look dirty in the eyes of non-believers. One last story. 
Don't know if this was a true story or not. It could be. Years ago, it showed up in uh, our daily bread readings. But, but here's the story. A seminary student had developed a ministry downtown at a rescue mission. And so every day he would commute downtown. He would work in the rescue mission, and he would preach to, to the people in the rescue mission. And then when he was through, he'd get back on the bus, and he'd go back to seminary. And every day he did that. And one day after preaching, he was tired. He got on the bus, and he gave the bus driver the money, and the bus driver gave him his change, and he went and sat down. <sighs> he looked down in his hand, and the bus driver had given him a dime, too much change. And he thought to himself, oh man, I am so tired, I don't want to get up and go give that bus driver. It's only a dime. But he thought, I, I need to do this. Now, he was motivated by seeing who he really worked for. Do you, do you catch the drift of that? So he got up, he went to the bus driver, and he said, Sir, you gave me a dime too much. The bus driver said, much to his surprise, I know I meant to. He said, I've seen you for a couple of weeks. I've known what you've been doing the other night. I parked my bus. You didn't see me. I came in, sat on the back row, and I heard you preach. I heard you preach of the gospel and the change that it could bring in a man's life. I'm not a Christian. And he said, really? I think preachers, by and large, are just a bunch of fakes. But he said, I determined that I was going to find out if you really meant what you said about a changed life. And I gave you that dime too much. And now that you've brought it back, I want you to know, I'm going to come and listen to you more. And that bus driver ultimately became a follower of Christ, not just because of the Word of God and the Spirit of God, but through the witness, the testimony of a man a young man who simply saw the need to submit himself and to do the right thing. If you're not a follower of Christ today, I encourage you that if your eyes have been opened, if you've sensed a drawing to the things of God, know that you are a sinner against a holy God. You probably, if, if you're feeling that drawing already, you probably already have a sense of that. Maybe you're even asking, well, what do I do? Well, going to church, becoming a church member, all the rest of that will not save you from your sins. You see, Jesus, who's God incarnate, came to this earth, lived a perfect life, died on the cross, was raised from the dead, and only He can give salvation forgiveness of sins through His blood, and then give you the righteousness that you need so that you can get to heaven, all by His finished work and His resurrection. And so today, if, 
if you've sensed that you are a sinner before a holy God, that all you deserve is punishment, but you would love to be able to know that you're not going to eternal punishment, but that you will have a relationship with the living God of the universe, then repent. Turn around from running away from God. Just believe in Him. Trust in Him. Put your weight in Him. The Bible promises you will be saved. And if you are a follower of Christ, I hope that today you will have seen the the incredible power and importance that a life of submission can bring. Sound doctrine leads to godly living. And I pray that it will do so in your life today. Father, I thank you for your word. I pray now that as we wrap up our time of worship here today, that you would help those of us who do know you to commit, to to, to make submission be the ultimate goal in our lives. We truly would as a church, as individuals, as families, submit ourselves to one another in the fear of Christ and that we would work that out on a daily basis. Father, I pray that even as I shared a few moments ago, if there is even one who today is sensed that they need to believe in Christ and maybe they don't know quite the way that they would make their way to the front, talk to one of us, Lord, or make that commitment even right now to you. But Father, whatever the case may be, let us not leave this building the same way that we came in because of the Word and because of your Spirit applying it. So, Lord, we thank you and we praise you for what you will do. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.